Hi everyone, Lockie Mansell here. Welcome to another episode of Checkered Flag Chat. On the weekend, we saw a new era for AASA-sanctioned national-level motorsport with the opening round of the high-tech oil super series at Winton Raceway. Across the event, we saw some thrilling races for the TA2 Muscle Car Series, Mazda RX-8 Cup, Australian Super TT Championship stock cars, and the Victorian XL Racing Series, and a fair bit of news unfolded off the track as well. So, let's get into it. The High Tech Oil Super Series Round 1 Debrief here on Checkered Flag Chat. And the man who joined me right throughout the weekend to commentate a lot of the races was Matt Kavanagh, giving him his introduction to national level AASA-sanctioned circuit racing on the weekend. Matt, you looked like you were having an absolute ball at Winston on the weekend. Oh, mate, it was absolutely fantastic to be there. Of course, the opening round of a brand-new series down at Winton, the home of where it all starts out for AASA as well, the Benella Auto Club. Everyone's so inviting, yourself included, and I think just the professionalism I saw on the weekend was everything that they spoke about leading up to the event. It was a pretty hot weekend, wasn't it? Wandering around the paddock on Friday and Saturday, pretty much every garage or every second garage that we went into, the teams were talking about temperature management issues and it was hot and sunny on Saturday. And then when we got to Sunday, there was a bit more cloud cover, but that kind of kept the heat just sitting in the atmosphere and it had this really still muggy sort of feeling to it. Oh, look, I'm at home there. I'm from Darwin, so a nice little muggy bit of feeling was uh, great. Great for you know a bit of hometown humidness, which obviously we're um, going to experience throughout the year. But look, it was hot and dry on Saturday, wasn't it? But it was the wind for me. It just did not. It was relentless. It went through everything. It was like someone had a hair dryer on you all day. We opened those windows in the commentary box because the aircon couldn't keep up, and it was just this dry wind blowing through. You know, your lips are drying out. Uh, you're sweating, but you're drying at the same time. It's kind of a really weird sensation, and I'm not going to lie. It was great to have a shower on Saturday night and just chill out a bit once the sun had gone down, but you're right. Sunday, those clouds came over. Temperature wasn't as hot. It was almost a bit more comfortable, I suppose, but that humidity level goes up. I think the drivers are a bit more comfortable because, you know, when the sun beats down on you, it feels like it's 20 or 30 degrees hotter. I don't know if they were more comfortable or just a bit less uncomfortable <laughs> would probably be the, the way that I would describe it. But one of the things that the drivers were very comfortable with was the efficiency of the administration process. And we had so much positive feedback from all of the drivers and mechanics and team managers and family members who were in attendance at just how well, how efficiently the race meeting was run over the weekend. Yeah, I think it's a real credit to the team there where they've got all the systems in the background there to make sure everyone can log in online and do as as much as possible before the event when you get there. But I think, like I said before, everyone was very inviting to get down there. They all had their spaces sorted out. There didn't seem to be too many people roaming around trying to figure out how to enter or get their bands or anything like that. And I think it's just an accumulation of all the team members who are very experienced in running events. I mean, we can have new new races, but you've got very experienced people behind the scenes. It makes it so easy for them to just come and be part of the racing team. One of the other things that you and I noticed walking around was just the level of camaraderie between competitors. I think it's good that even though it's national-level motorsport and it's obviously very competitive on track, the off-track friendliness and cooperation and family atmosphere hasn't been lost and particularly in categories like Super TT that are very family orientated it was good to see that 
camaraderie and that social atmosphere. And even in TA2, where the level of competition is a little bit more intense, there was still the effort made, you know, with the, the welcome dinner function on the Saturday night to make sure that the competitors had time to socialise with one another. You look at, And you look at things like Friday night, Nick Bates has a suspected engine and two teams end up helping him throughout the night to get that car up and running on Saturday morning so he can go out and compete in the racing. So that's in TA2 all the way down. We saw the RX-8s. Every time there was a couple of gearboxes done there and an engine, but people are jumping in, helping him out. They're talking about setups of their car and the Excel as well. Everybody helps out when it comes to Excel racing, don't they? So, look, I think you're right, the camaraderie between everyone, um, even the stock cars, they were over there having a great time. We know they were getting around and they weren't didn't have a full field, I suppose, to probably show what that category is capable of, but just the, the few that were there were all in one shed together, all having a good time and getting the cars set up and getting out there having a great time. So the categories that we had on the program, we had the opening round of the TA2 Muscle Car Series frames by Hitech, Mazda RX-8 Cup, Yellow Express, the major sponsor for the Mazdas this year. They are actually having their second round of their 2013 season, having uh, 2023 season, I should say, having kicked off at Phillip Island. We had the Australian Super TT Championship and stock cars running in a combined field and then two separate grids for the Hyundai XLs, as we have seen over the last couple of seasons in Victoria, because the number of entries that they get exceeds the grid capacity in a lot of circuits. They've had to split the category into two separate grids for the under and the over 40-year-old drivers. But let's have a bit of a chat about the categories one by one, starting off with TA2. And there was plenty of action on the track, but it has continued off the track as well because not long before we recorded this podcast, there was a penalty issued to Jackson Rice, who was actually awarded the round winner's trophy at the podium presentation on Sunday afternoon. But that was the subject of an investigation because of an incident between him and Lee Stibbs in the fourth and final race of the weekend. Rice was found to be... The guilty party, he was handed a penalty which dropped him from second place in that race all the way down to 17th. And as a result, it moved Lee Stibbs up to take the overall round victory. Now, the incident in question, Matty, it happened at the second last corner when Rice went for a dive down the inside of Lee Stibbs heading into turn number 11, made contact with the right rear of Stibbs' car and spun him off the circuit. So, Rice and his team, they have said that they are going to appeal it, so we could see the results change yet again. That appeal will be held by the stewards in the lead-up to the next round up in Darwin. But, um, uh, yeah, certainly a little bit of controversy coming to the fore in TA2. Look, it's excitement starting in round one, and that's what we always want to see when it comes to racing. It's not just about what happens on track. We want to make sure there's always going to be some contentious issues so that the points are very even and we've got a number of drivers that could be winning at the end. So, look, Stibbs was out in front, uh, hit from behind. He wasn't happy about it after the race. Um, look, a big credit to the teams. They None of them showed any anger towards ranks amongst each other. They were just obviously want to win, and they put their appeals in and stuff like that. So, Stibbs was unhappy to be hit from behind, turned around because they were fighting for first position. I suppose that's where it is. If we were fighting for 19th or 20th position down the end, we might not have seen as harsh a penalty or something happen. But the fact that it was for position number one and Lee Stibbs had already won a race, his first one in TA2 as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, going for his second one, uh, look, it, it's competitive racing. Um, it's going to happen. I, I don't think it's anything deliberate out there. It's just a, an event. But the fact that he hit him from behind and, 
where he's hit him exiting the corner in the back right-hand corner. It's going to be a hard appeal. But, look, good luck to the team. I hope the Dream Team, Jackson Rice, and the boys can do it because he started his season strong because we speak about another couple of drivers that we thought were probably going to be up there with Jackson Rice, and that's Josh Haynes and Brad Gartner, and they had unfortunate weekends as well. They certainly did. In fact, uh, three of the, the drivers that we expected to be right in contention for the title all had dramas at various stages of the weekend. So Josh Haynes all started for him in race number one when it was an oil temperature issue that forced him into retirement. He came charging back through the field and ended up winning that fourth and final race. Brad Gartner, a more serious incident, a big crash in race number one where his car actually ended up lodged underneath the tyre barrier on the exit of turn two and... We thought when we saw the car that his weekend was going to be done. The amount of damage to the front left-hand corner was enormous. But thanks to the the hard work of the uh, MVA team overnight, Michael Vidio and the rest of the team, they managed to get the car resurrected and back out onto the track for Sunday's races, which was an enormous effort. Yeah, I don't think they were expecting to get it fixed. We went down there Saturday afternoon after racing had finished and they were pulling it apart, but they didn't seem too confident they were going to make it out there on Sunday. So when we rocked up Sunday morning and they said they'd been there up until 1.30am replacing all the parts and putting new things on, I mean, even the bonnet was just held together by 100-mile an hour tape. So they managed to get that car back out. That was a great credit to them. And then, unfortunately, in race number two, they actually had brake bias issues as well. So we saw Gartner go around and circulate quite a few times, then pull into the pits. And I don't actually think he recorded a finish that because he didn't complete enough laps in the race. So had a really bad start to the weekend. But Think about his race number three, where he came from, back of the field. And I'm trying to remember where he ended up. It was something like ninth or or eighth or something like that. So he had a massive push forward and Phil Gartner showing some real pace. And then obviously the final race, he gets himself up there and uh, tentatively, (laughs) he's uh, got himself a great spot to kick off his championship. Indeed he has. And we again, we emphasise that all of the results are provisional pending that appeal with Jackson Rice. But the other one who had a bit of a, a tough weekend was Graeme Cheney, who showed some really good pace in qualifying, actually put it on the front row of the grid after the top 10 shootout. But then in one of the races, he got involved in a bit of a tangle with Zach Loschalpo coming out of turn two, which saw him spearing across the grass and narrowly avoiding colliding with other cars as he rejoined the circuit on the exit of turn number three. And after that, I think he had to come into the pits for an unscheduled pit stop with a bit of damage out of that one, which put him back down the order as well. So he was the other one of our title contenders to to drop some points as a result of that. That uh, left us with Lee Stibbs taking the round win ahead of Jackson Rice. We ended up with the ever-consistent Dylan Thomas tied on points with Nicholas Bates in third spot. The third-place trophy went to Dylan Thomas by virtue of his high finishing position in the fourth and final race of the weekend. Also, I want to give a, a shout-out to a couple of drivers who I thought performed impressively at various stages over the weekend. So Michael Coulter qualified way down the order, but he made progress forward in every race and ended up finishing in the top five overall for the weekend. The other one who I thought drove really, really well was Hayden Hume. And unfortunately, there was a gearbox failure in the final race, which meant that he only finished 16th overall for the weekend. But he qualified down in 20th after some power steering problems throughout practice and qualifying. But he was another one who kept moving forward in every race. He was right in the lead pack when his gearbox failed in race number four. And he is a rookie 
in this year's TA2 field. And I, I thought that he was probably, on balance, the, the most impressive rookie over the course of the weekend. And he had his birthday in the week leading up to the event as well, so just turned 18. So you're right, you're right a rookie, um, unfortunately. He was going in a fantastic battle with Dylan Thomas. That was great to watch. And then those gearbox issues, many uh, he backed into the front of Dylan Thomas a couple of times there. And unfortunately, out of the race, it would have been nice to see him try and finish that one. Um, there, was, there was a couple of people down the field too that just really struggling. Nick Bates in the end bought that car home. I mean, he got the Masters win out of them, obviously the over 50 category, but brought home with only two gears left in the gearbox, so first and second. So another tough one for him after that engine change on Friday night, which I believe wasn't actually an engine. It might have been a sensor in the end. So they had a busy weekend, and I'm sure they're resting up this week. Yeah, and in fact, yes, the point was made that as it turned out, they didn't need to do that engine change on Friday evening because it was only a sensor rather than the whole engine itself. But yes, Nicholas Bates, very lucky to make it home with only two years in that final race. But the biggest incident was the rollover for Paul Hanley at the start of race three. It happened just off the start line. He came into contact with Chris Pappas. The two cars awkwardly locked wheels. It resulted in Paul Hanley getting speared off to the right-hand side of the circuit. And because his car hit an undulation in the infield at an awkward sideways angle, that was what caused the car to get tripped into a rollover. Now, I have to say that the recovery job from the recovery crews at Winton was unbelievably amazing because they only spent one and a half laps under safety car while Paul Hanley's rolled over TA2 car was recovered. It was a superb job from the officials at Winton. Look, it was, it was a good position where it happened uh, for the safety crews and for the recovery crew. Great to see that the car ended up on its wheels. He actually got out of the car under his own power. So he went away with our safety officials and our ambulance crew and got checked out. But, the, yeah, the recovery team got that car straight on the tilt tray, off the track, and the race director was applauding them, really, to be that one and a half laps on the safety car. It was a really quick turnaround. And it just kept the, the race flowing, kept that, that intensity. We didn't lose any of that. Indeed, and actually right throughout the weekend, I thought that the the recovery crews at Winton were the unsung heroes of the event because there were a few other incidents where ordinarily you would have expected the safety car to come out, but they were able to get some of those recoveries done under what we describe as a hot track where it's effectively it's just a local yellow flag and the safety car doesn't actually come out onto the racetrack. Now, Admittedly, at some of the other tracks that we go to, like Sydney Motorsport Park, for example, or even Hidden Valley, it's probably not going to be quite as easy to do those sorts of recoveries because you don't have the big, wide expanses of grass in the infield like you have at Winton that recovery vehicles can drive across to get to stranded cars very quickly. But even so, I think the officials deserve absolute applause for the job that they did on the weekend. No, you can't fault them at all. They were out there and they, they did everything that needed to be done. And like you say, I think it was Lachalpo actually in race four, wasn't it? On lap one, he stopped down about turn eight. And somehow I'm watching the race go around. I'm thinking, we're, we're going to have a yellow on lap one. And by the time I turned up, he was actually almost towed off the track. So they did a fantastic job. They did not muck around in that first lap uh, throughout the entire weekend and warm conditions too, because they're in safety gear as well. One last point that I want to cover off on TA2 before we move on to the other categories, and this comes back to the incident with Jackson Rice and Elise Stibbs. So, as discussed, Rice has been handed a post-race time penalty, which has dropped him down the order. It did seem that 
over the weekend, the trend of the officials was that if it was a clear-cut jump start, they would impose a post-race five-second time penalty, which they would award during race conditions. But if it was a driving standards-type infringement, so car-to-car contact, the penalties tended to be awarded after the race rather than, for example, a drive-through penalty during the race. And I think that a lot of the reason for that is that the officials and the driving standards observer, who was Elliot Barber on the weekend, they want to be able to properly go through the in-car footage from the cars so that they can adjudicate on those incidents rather than making a call purely based on observation from race control, which might then prove to be incorrect afterwards. Yeah, and obviously we did have some cameras in cars from the media side as well as they've. Everyone's got a GoPro in their car now, don't they? I mean, everyone yep. runs them. They they carry them on board for the judicial system as well. So you're right. I think twelve lap race. You don't want to slow it down too much. I think it's a great idea to give that up the the post race. Obviously, some people are going to be upset about that, but by the time you travel through the pits, probably not so bad at Winton. But there's going to be some tracks where that possibly could be more than thirty seconds. So you might be happy to take that one. Indeed. And the other thing as well is that last year in TA2, they actually they were really, really harsh. They made it that basically any incident, if you turned another competitor around, it was a DQ. Um, no questions asked. You would be excluded from the race, sent to the back of the grid. This year, they have softened their approach a bit and they are tending to hand out some of those time penalties rather than straight up disqualifications. And I think that is a good thing because as frustrating as it might be for the competitor that you've turned around and as much as it might discourage people from making over-enthusiastic manoeuvres, if you come down that harshly on people, and we saw a bit of an example of it last year with Dylan Thomas, it can kill their championship on the spot and it can make them less motivated to come back for for other rounds if they feel like they're, they're already out of contention. So... I think that the penalty does have to be proportionate to the crime, and I think we have seen a change to reflect that for this season. And I think probably one of the other good things for TA2 is they have tweaked the point system for this year. Last year, if you got a DNF, it was really, really expensive and basically put you out of title contention altogether, Uh, whereas this year they've made it that there's a bit bigger spread of points at the top of the points table, and we saw it with Josh Haynes, on the weekend that even if you get a DNF, if you can then fight back towards the, the top placings toward, you know, for the remainder of the weekend, then it does give you more of an opportunity to recover from that sort of misfortune. Yeah, weren't they a lot happier at the end of the weekend after getting that race win in the final race? So, um, you know, and same thing, he makes a bit of contact there, obviously on the back of Jackson Rice in the last, you know, second last lap, I think it was coming out of turn number two. So he redressed that on the spot, which was great to see. I don't think it was actually, personally, it was probably going to be an issue, but redress it on the spot. He had the tyres, and that's where it really comes mm. down to it. And, and that's going to be interesting this season too when we talk about six brand-new tyres this weekend. We're waiting to find out what the format's going to be in Darwin because that's going to be warm up there, and uh, we're talking possibly having two drivers in a car. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. So I think the tyres are going to come to it this season as well. Indeed, they will. And uh, yeah, time management will be a talking point. It was an absolute cracker of a final race, that one between Jackson Rice and Josh Haynes for the race victory. All right, Mazda RX-8 Cup, good racing in this category as well. Like I said, it was their second round of the season because they got underway at Phillip Island. And it was a pretty 
significant weekend in terms of there being a big pendulum swing in the championship because the reigning champ and points later coming into the weekend, Tom Shaw, he was second in race one, but had an engine problem after the chequered flag on the cool-down lap, which despite their efforts to source a replacement engine overnight, it ended up eliminating Tom from the weekend and he was consigned to the commentary box to call the rest of the action alongside you and I. But um, what that meant was that Justin Barnes, who won the round overall, moved into the championship lead. The star of the weekend for mine, though, in the Mazda RX-8 Cup was Ryan Gorton, the 2020 and 2021 series champ, coming back for a one-off drive in the category at Winton. Qualified on pole position by over half a second. He was driving away from the field in race one before he had an electrical problem which put him out of the race. But then in race two, he came from the back of the grid to fourth. You've called a lot of drag racing, Matty. In race three, he got the whole shot, moved from fourth up to second by turn one and into the lead shortly thereafter and was never headed for the rest of the weekend. His pace on cold tyres in particular was outstanding. It was Craig Lowndes-esque, the confidence that he had on cold tyres to to push through, make up positions and then sprint away from the field in the weekend's final race. Look, I think anyone would give him a seat in a drag car. He can cut the tree down. That reaction time was phenomenal. He read the lights really well. He got the car off the line, managed the clutch as well, uh, got there, made that big jump up, which probably made it a little bit more comfortable for him, I suppose, at the start of the race. He didn't muck around because he got that straight into the lead and, and just really ran away with that win, Ryan Gorton. Fantastic drive from him on the weekend. Uh, Tommy, yeah, look, harsh weekend for them. I think he drove over 600 kilometres to go and get another engine on Saturday night in the hope that they could make that back. And they, they'd they already pulled the engine out. We got there. Tom was gone, unfortunately. We've seen them soldering plugs on as well. They were changing plugs over. It might have been a different series engine. I'm not quite sure. I mean, they're all governed by a stock computer and that's all sealed up they drop the tunes into and make sure they're not touched so um unfortunate for him i'm sure they'll turn around being the professional race team they are the shore racing and they will sort that one out justin lewis though the category sponsor yellow express doesn't he make an impression on you though like i mean he is a ball of excitement we saw about four different sunglass changes throughout <laughs> the weekend as well <laughs> look at um and he had a fantastic weekend and look at him fourth race ever and he's up there getting podiums every time yeah, he's adapted to circuit racing with great distinction. There's no doubt about that. And let's not forget that he's already finishing ahead of his brother, Terry Lewis, who is a, a racing veteran, won the Australian Production Car Championship back in the early 1990s. And uh, he actually built Justin's car and, and now finds that his younger brother is beating him on the track. But great to have somebody like Justin involved in Mazda RX-8 Cup. As you mentioned, his business, Yellow Express, has got involved in in commercially backing the category as well. But, uh, yeah, he was very, very impressive, his results on the weekend. And I don't think it's going to be too long before he breaks through for his maiden race victory. Especially if Ryan Gorton's only doing some uh, selected rounds. Well, just this one coming up, um, look, he'll he'll come through. Uh, Ripper guy. Um, and, of course, if you're in Sydney, the man with a van, go check him out, Yellow Express. So looking through the rest of the Mazda RX-8 Cup field, a few other drivers to highlight. So there's been a new award introduced for this year, which is the Old Rubber Award, which Justin Barnes' business just-in-time auto glass is supporting. And it's basically to reward competitors who are on used tyres. So the RX-8s, they all use Nankang-controlled tyres, 
not all of the competitors are necessarily going to buy a new set of tyres for each round. So to have some recognition of of drivers who are on old tyres is, is a great initiative. And it was Miles Braguglio in one of the three Maisie Place Motorsport Mazda RX-8, who ended up with that award. He did a really good job. He finished up ninth overall for the weekend. He's had a bit of a drifting experience, Matt. So he's used to driving in low-grip situations. Yeah, look, he was. Um, he's obviously enjoying the fairly worn tyres, I suppose, out there. And they're picking up a lot of rubber on the weekend as well. So that would have made him a little bit harder to drive. So, yeah, big shout-out to him. Um, the other one, obviously, is our New Zealand competitor that's come across the ditch and said hello and got involved in the race this weekend, Matt, uh, Ash McConchy. How He was sort of at the back of the pack but struggling a little bit. That final race, so he actually went off the track and backed the car into the wall. A little bit of, I suppose, superficial damage. It doesn't look like it's anything major there. But, look, great to have him come over here to Australia and hopefully we might see something happen with the RX-8 Cup in Australia, doing a little bit of racing over in New Zealand as well. Yeah, so Rich Shaw, the category manager, is trying to get this driver exchange program going where some Aussies go over to New Zealand and race their cars and some Kiwis come over to Australia. But having a chat to Ash, he was just struggling a bit to adapt to the car. And I think part of the reason for that is the RX-8 Cup cars here in Australia are very close to production spec. The modifications that you can make to the cars are very limited, really just for safety and and reliability in race conditions. Whereas over in New Zealand, they're allowed to take a lot more weight out of the cars. They're allowed to make more open, I suppose. you I was about to say free, but nothing's free in motorsport. There are less restrictions, shall we say, on what you can do to the engines and various other components. So the New Zealand cars are a bit faster and it'll definitely be a different driving experience over there compared to here in Australia. Look, the only thing I think with the RX-8 Cup is if we get another hot weekend, I think there'll be some people buying some cool suit systems. Indeed, that was uh, one of the complaints throughout the weekend was drivers struggling with cabin temperatures. I think it will be a bit cooler, though, for the next round of the RX-8 Cup, which is not actually part of the high-tech oil super series. It's running as part of the New South Wales Motor Racing Championships at Sydney Motorsport Park at the end of May, and I'm sure they'll get a good field for that one but just yeah congratulations to rick shaw and the entire team at rx8 so again it looks like it's going to be a very strong year for that category we had the australian super tt and stock cars running in a combined field on the weekend their weekend started with qualifying and then a top 10 shootout in fact both super tt and ta2 ran top 10 shootouts over the weekend i thought that the TA2 top 10 shootout was particularly exciting and we saw a couple of drivers gaining and, and losing significant positions from where they qualified in the first instance. And I think that comes down to the technical nature of the Winton circuit and the fact that it's easy to make a mistake in a car like a TA2 car. Didn't say quite as much variation in Super TT in the shootout compared to qualifying. And I think that probably comes down to the fact that there's a bit more of a performance differential between the cars. So once they had qualified, they, they were sort of doing about the same pace in the shootout, you know, based on the, the relative performance of the cars. Yeah, a bit more disparity, I suppose, between them. And so many classes within the Australian Super TT, and we threw the stock cars in there as well. So obviously we've got the over two litre uh, slicks and treaded, so two classes there, and then the under two litre slicks and treaded. And then 
In amongst the under two liter, there's a heap of BMW E36s with that uh, 1.8 liter on board. They've got their own little um, competition going on amongst themselves as well. So they get a little BMW competition. So, so much to try and unfold throughout, I suppose, as they go around. As the race goes, no surprise, the stock cars we expected to be very fast down the straights and the, and the production cars we expected to be very quick throughout the corners, which is what we saw. It made for some weird and wacky moments on the TV coverage, didn't it? Particularly when Martin Doxey, in his little four-cylinder front-wheel drive Holden Astra production car, dived up the inside of, I think it was Michael Heppleston in one of the stock cars, and Wade Oranger, who was doing the TV commentary with you, made the comment that, uh, that that's something that you'd never see in Australian motorsport as an Astra overtaking a NASCAR. What's the go with a Vauxhall taking overtaking something like a Chevy? I, I just don't know. It's not meant to be on TV. I don't, it's not meant to be on the track. It all happened very, very fast, and, and I believe the Vauxhall just gave him a bit of rubbing his racing as well and uh, took a bit of pain off on the back bar. It's not often we see an Astra take the damage out on a race car like that. So, look, yeah, look, there were some fun moments throughout that race. Obviously, Scott Nine was super impressive out the front. The final race took him a few laps, I think, just to get some tyre temperature. So we actually saw him and Mark Tracy have a great battle in that V8-powered BMW as well. So that was great to kick off race number four. Unfortunately, once it got some tyre temperature, it was all gone from there. He was super quick, uh, which we expect to see. And hopefully we're going to see the stock cars have enough cars to come out at a couple of events later in the year for us as part of the Super Series, but obviously in their own series as well. Indeed, and hopefully they can get to that critical mass where they can run as a standalone category. I think that Calder Park, which is the last round of the high-tech oil super series, given that that's the, the spiritual home of stock cars, be they either NASCARs or Ozcars here in Australia, I think there's a very good chance that we'll have a very good field when we head there in November. But like you said, Scott Nines, the dominant performer in the stock cars, Mark Tracy took the overall round win in Super TT in the over two liter slick tyre class. He's had lots of experience over the years at Winton and his workshop at Twin City Rollendors is based not far up the road in Albury-Wodonga, so it wasn't that surprising to see Mark Tracy doing very, very well. And up and down the field, we, we always say that the great thing about Super TT, the variety and the diversity of different types of cars, we saw some cracking battles. There was... For a couple of races in a row, we saw Michael Ricketts in his improved production spec Nissan Pulsar going wheel to wheel with Ryan Bell in the Nissan 370Z. So two Nissans, but with completely different mechanical specifications and and different strengths and weaknesses battling it out. And even a bit further down the order, some of the the slower four-cylinder cars, particularly those BMW E36s, putting on some entertaining racing as well. We say in Super TT that the philosophy is run what you brung, and definitely it's a category that really appeals to those grassroots motorsport competitors who enjoy tinkering with their car in the shed and then bringing it out to the racetracks to have some fun on the weekend. And we saw a couple of cars missing. I mean, Ross Wood's car was parked up in the corporate area this weekend. Unfortunately, he suffered a little bit of engine damage they found just a couple of days before the event. So, you know, you're getting those R31 Skylines, you're getting a 370Z, so you've got all your Nissans in there, an S14 Pulsar like you spoke about, of, uh, built by Jordan Cox Motorsport as well. So, like, that's a name that we know around other forms and 
will we see him make an appearance in some form throughout the series, in some form of motorsport? I hope we do because we know how competitive he is. And then we've got Falcons, and obviously we're getting the variation. Then we get the old-school V8 Falcon, like an XD with a Clevo in it. We've got some later model Falcons with the later model V8. We've also got the Barra motor conversion, a couple of BAs, just so many different ranges of vehicles and everything in between. Of course, the E36s just throw their own little series in the middle of that, and uh, Rob Bowden is the number one in that, has uh, got the win on the weekend too in that category. He's a very talented driver, Rob Bowden, won the Battlers to Bathurst competition last year, which was run by Richard Mork, and uh, as a result of that, he ended up driving alongside Adrian Sarkis and Terry Denovan in the high-tech oils Bathurst six-hour in a Toyota 86. Before we move on from Super TT, I, I do want to just make mention of the, the very tragic news that we found out late on Sunday afternoon that Josh Dowell, who has been a regular competitor in Super TT and, and what was previously known as the Thundersports category for the last couple of years, we heard that he lost his life in a motorcycle accident. And the, the thing that makes me most sad about that is that he probably could have or should have been racing at Winston on the weekend. I think his car wasn't quite ready and he had a bit of work that he was planning to do on it to then come back bigger and stronger a bit later in the year. But, um, yeah, very, very sad news to, to hear that he's no longer with us. Yeah, that's a hard one to swallow, isn't it? But it's um, so unfortunate we hear it. Um, look, I'm, I, don't, I don't know what to say. You know, obviously our condolences to the family and to all the racers having a hard time. And don't forget to all the racers, if, you're, um, if you are having a hard time, make sure you reach out and have a chat with somebody. 100%. So final category that ran on the program divided, as I mentioned at the top of the show, into a couple of different grids, the Victorian XL Racing Series. So we had some future stars of the field in the trophy class with Harry Tompkins and Jay Robotham winning a couple of races apiece. And I really want to highlight Jay Robotham because last weekend up in Newcastle, he was racing in the opening round of the Dunlop Super 2 Series in a Matthew White racing Ford Mustang supercar and then on the weekend he was back in the category where he first started his circuit racing career the Hyundai XL so just uh, really good to say that even though he's obviously moving up the ranks of Australian motorsport that he still saw fit to come and have a play in the XL category at Winton. It must have been hard to driving the starter motor after driving Super 2, I think. Just getting back, that's what it would have felt like. Uh, not a lot of horsepower in those Hyundai's, but I think it's all about seat time too, Lockie. I mean, the more time you can spend behind the wheel of a race car, the more you can understand and give feedback to your crew chief, the better driver you're going to be. And at that age, why not? You're fit, you're young, get as much seat time as possible. And yeah, he really he did really well throughout the weekend and he wasn't the only name, though. A couple of people tried to really get past him. Harry Tompkins was another one. Cadell Ambrose. They are all battling it out. And I suppose with the XLs, we didn't see anyone run away with a victory. There was all these little battles within the pack. There was a battle for first, and there was a battle for fourth, and there was a battle for eighth place. You know, there was always three or four cars in that battle. We see him go three and four wide into turn one. It funnels down really sharp there, and they have to back off. But it's a fantastic category to get involved. Indeed it is, and the battles were terrific, but the driving standards were good as well. There have been some races in the past where the driving standards in XLs have been less than exemplary, but I thought that on the weekend at Winton, all of the drivers showed really good respect for one another, good racing room given when there was a battle on for position and 
just uh, overall a credit to everybody involved. So Brad Verica was the other one who was up there at various stages of the weekend in the trophy class, in the Masters class for the over 40 year old drivers. And it was David Musgrave who won three out of the four races. The other race win went to Adam Bywar, who we saw Glenn McKenzie finishing on the podium in terms of the overall round results for the weekend as well. And the over 40s, they're obviously doing it more as a recreational pursuit rather than necessarily looking to pursue a professional career. But still, in terms of their lap times, it would have put them, you know, not that far behind the front runners in the the trophy class. And uh, I thought that the overall standard of racing, you know, minus uh, maybe a couple of incidents in, in one of the races was pretty good as well. Yeah, it definitely was. And I think just the sheer numbers is the only reason we split them. They would be great side by side. We could run them within their own category. And it's going to take a track that has a, it is reasonably long or has a, um, a long grid form up for us to put them on there. So I don't know whether we might be able to do it at some of the rounds. Obviously, that was the Victorian Excel series there this weekend as well. So, um, we might come across some of these big numbers at some of the bigger tracks. And especially in states like New South Wales, it could be absolutely massive. It could be, especially when you consider that a bit later on this year, there's going to be a three-round Australian XL series. So that'll run across three different states in Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria. We'll wrap up at Calder Park at the end of the year. And at those events, you're obviously going to have some competitors who will travel to all three rounds, but they will be augmented by the local state-based drivers at each of those events too. So I think some of those deals will be huge. And there's going to be a two-driver XL Enduro at our next round up in Darwin at Hidden Valley as well. So plenty of excellent action to look forward to in the high-tech oil super series. Oh, we're getting corny already, mate. This uh, this early on in the series. So, <laughs> look, I'll um, have to get the puns in there somewhere. We're going, to, we're going to have to make sure there's enough XLs in the Northern Territory, I think. Small population up there, and I know there's quite a few sitting in a friend's paddock that may not be able to make the series. <laughs> we might have used them, and very popular now when it comes to the junior sedans and speedway as well. So they're everywhere. Everyone loves them. Can't do a lot to them. Take the weight out of them. Put a cage in them. Go racing. Have fun. That's what it's all about. Indeed it is. And the thing about XLs is that it is literally that simple. There's obviously an abundance of cars out there because of the sheer volume of the things that were sold in Australia in the late 1990s up until the year 2000 when the Hyundai XL road car was superseded by the Accent. And parts as well at Wreckers. There's a huge supply of spare parts. And that's why it's become such a popular platform for a very affordable entry point into circuit racing. And uh, yes, we're going to need to get the Microsoft Excel spreadsheet out to calculate championship points and race results as well. So next round of the High Tech Oil Super Series, Hidden Valley on the long weekend up in Darwin, so end of April, beginning of May, there's going to be endurance races for the XLs and the HQ Holdens. A real possibility that we're also going to have a twin driver endurance race for the TA2 muscle car series with some high-profile drivers expected to join the field as well. And Matty, you get to head back to your old stomping ground. Mate, snap up the opportunity. We're going up for the Crocodile Cup. That's what we're doing, all right? There's my cheesy corny line for the night. Um, look, fantastic track up there as well. It's going to be humid, 29th of April to the 1st of May, three days of racing, and we might even get some drift demos up there as well. I hear the boys have been asked to go and uh, have some fun in the afternoons and put a bit of a show on for the crowd. 
look, the motorsport mad in Darwin. They love it. You bring something like this up there, plenty of cars. Um, expecting to get a 25-car field in TA2 as well, which is massive considering the amount of kilometres they're going to have to travel. I mean, Adelaide to Darwin, 3,000 kilometres straight up the middle. You're talking nearly 4,500 coming out of Sydney. So big travel for the teams. Obviously, we heard some great news. There's some, some good incentives for them to go up there and race as well. And the Northern Territory Government, I believe, or Motorsports NT, obviously getting behind this event. But 2.9 kilometres of track to get around. It's an anti-clockwise track. But big straights here, and this is what I'm so excited about. 1.1 kilometre straight means the diff gears are going to be uh, changed up, I think, from Winton. We could see in excess of 230, 240 kilometres an hour down that main straight into Turn 1. Indeed, we could in the TA2 cars. Like you said, they will change their gear ratios. It's one of the items that you can adjust on a TA2 car, so they will have to go for taller ratios than at Winton due to the enormous length of that main straight. All right, time for our high-tech batteries fully charged driver of the round. Who was your choice for driver of the round, Matt? Oh, are we going to go by category or are we going to just go into this and just Just pick, one, just just one, one driver for the whole weekend? I, I want to – oh, it's a hard one. See, I could pick a couple, I reckon, when it comes out of the TA2. I'd like to stick there with Gartner and Haynes to a degree. They're probably pretty close to me. But for me, I think it's the RX-8 Cup. We, Ryan Gorton, I mean, what do you do? You come from last to first in a couple of races. And then not only do that, you pull out in front. Uh, you dominate by half a second in the top 10 shootout. Overall, we would break it down considering how close the parity is between those cars. I'm going to give it to him. Yeah, good choice. And I, I can't disagree with you on that one, but... My high-tech batteries fully charged driver of round number one of the high-tech oil super series is Lee Stibbs because he exceeded all of our expectations coming into the weekend. None of us were really talking about him as a title contender in 2023. We were all very much focused on his teammate Brad Gardner along with the likes of Josh Haynes and Jackson Rice, but Lee Stibbs came out and surprised us all. He's taken the overall round win and uh, provisionally, at least, he's the points leader heading to round number two at Darwin. So that's my choice for the high-tech batteries fully charged driver of the round. Look, can't go past him either, can you, really? There's just so many to choose from, though, Lockie, after round one. I mean, if this continues for the next five rounds, what an exciting series this is going to be. I mean, it, it's already got that feel about it, but, I mean, even Michael Coulter, well, he had a tough start, just consistent in the background, I suppose, not flashy, not, you know, making up 19 positions in a race, but just working away at and provisionally, we'll say the P word, he's in third position in that final race. So they've had another good outing considering they've changed over to the Camaro. There's going to be plenty of storylines to talk about right throughout this season. So make sure you keep following all of the High Tech Oils Super Series social media channels for the latest news updates feature videos, feature stories and other cool content. Now, check and flag chat the podcast. We're going to stick with the high-tech oils theme for the next episode. We'll be previewing the high-tech oils Bathurst six hours, so make sure you tune in for the next episode. My thanks to Matty Kavanagh for joining me this episode of Check and Flag Chat. I'm Lockie Mansell. Bye for now. 